0: The following is presented to you in a round sound.
1: It was recorded with whatever was lying around.
2: The lady don't take no shit, insist on respect the sister walk around like a woman she, she won't speak unless it's something worse saying, don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curious. She got a natural way her hips sway furiously. Like a luxuriasta. Hey,
3: this is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-black, pro-queer, proudly feminist and pro do what you like Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on and what we hating on. What we might be and what we ain't going to do. Politics pop culture, what happened in the midterm elections, and why that matters for you, we cover it all. We know that no matter where you are, it's a challenging time, a changing time, a time of transformation. It's all the things all the time nowadays, but we are going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is free 99, because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. This week, we're changing it up. Today, we're going to talk about the midterm elections, as November 8th was just around the corner. And while we're still getting some key results, there is still a lot to discuss. Now, just to back up for a minute, what was at stake in the midterm elections was governor's races, secretary of state races, state House and Senate races, and federal House and Senate races. If you want to pass laws in this country, you need majorities in each of these chambers, whether it's at the state level or the federal level. You need someone who's going to sign the bills, that's the governor, when they're passed by the House and the Senate, either in states or in Congress. And you need people who are going to both make fair rules about voting and who are going to protect those rules. That's the role of the Secretary of State. Now, the prediction was that the extreme faction of the Republican Party was set to win big, that they were going to take over seats across the nation. Well, it turns out that those predictions were wrong, wrong, wrong. And thank God. Now, as of the time of this recording, it looks like Democrats have won control of the United States Senate. That means that Democrats will have a more straightforward path to passing laws that align with their agenda, codifying Roe despite that bullshit that the Supreme Court tried, taking strong action on climate destruction, addressing jobs in the economy, even criminal system reform. I mean, perhaps. It looks like Democrats have lost the House, but not by as much as we thought. About 10 seats now, maybe less by the time of this recording. Now look, I gotta be honest with you. For Lady, it's never been about some elation that Democrats would win. And to be honest, some of the Democrats that did win and are poised to win, think Arizona and Nevada, and honestly, even Georgia, are much more moderate Democrats, like Kristen Cinema type Democrats. But if we remember that elections are about designing the terrain that you want to fight on, I will fight a moderate Democrat with glee compared to the dread I feel thinking about fighting the extreme right. Now, who wants a Congress full of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene? Definitely not me. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that it's not what you want either. (laughs) Now, I think the outcomes were actually much better for us than I expected, like much, much better. So when all the dust clears, are we gonna be any closer to living in a democracy or will we have slid even further into fascism? Well, I'll tell you right now, we have some victories that we gotta celebrate. So we are gonna get into the good, the bad and the ugly. And here's some midterm reflections from a few friends of mine. Today, we are bringing you an all-star analysis from none other than Tiffany Cross, Melissa Harris-Perry, LaFonza Butler, Angela Rye, Joy Reid, Jamel Hill, Say Ufat, and Maurice Mitchell. Oh, and don't you worry. I'll be bringing you my own take on the midterms later in the show. But first, we're going to hear from my sister, Tiffany Cross. Now, as you may know, until very recently, Tiffany was the illustrious host of the hit morning news show, The Cross Connection. And then MSNBC pulled some bullshit, like really some cat shit, and abruptly fired her because... Oh, I don't know. Corporate news stations be real funny about black people who got something real to say. You going to hear more about that later. But for now, let's hear what she has to say about this week's election. Hey, AG. I'd say
4: one of the flaws that happened in this go-round in elections is the media narrative, and this is a lesson that we seem to have to learn over and over and over and over again. Much of the mainstream press seems to center white voices, white perspective, and white interest. And so when you have candidates on, the constant question is, uh, to progressives, how do you appeal to swing voters? How do you appeal to independents who were turned off by Donald Trump? However, you rarely hear anybody in the media ask, conservative MAGA hat-wearing Trump voters, well... You know, you're trying to uh, win this election. What's your plan to appeal to the Democratic Party? And as you know, the Democratic Party base is mostly African-Americans. So do you have a message that might appease that demographic? As you know, the demographics of the country are changing. What's your message to people of color in this country who feel your party's policies are damaging to their communities? You never hear that. And so... Because you don't hear that, the narrative is allowed to be spun into a web of deceit. And the lie, deceit, is that the country is white folks exclusively. And that's just not the case. And it also, I think, on some level, dilutes our voting power as a collective. Because for so long, we have not had the privilege to vote our passion. We could only vote for the responsible choice, who we thought would win, hence who white folks might support. And as the numbers change, we won't have to think that way anymore. And so to me, the biggest flaw has been what happened in the media, because that informs how candidates were funded. That informs who party officials thought were a viable candidate to run. That informs ground game um, in certain areas across the country. And so, yeah, I would say it all centers on the media and the wide net of influence that they cast. It's unfortunate because the mainstream outlets still seem to have not learned this lesson.
3: Tiffany, girl, thank you, sis. I love what she said about the media narrative and how the narrative stay focused on white perspectives, white concerns, and white priorities. This is indeed voter suppression, there's a strong relationship between media narratives and who parties and candidates choose to represent. And now we're going to hear from my good friend and host of The Takeaway on NPR, Melissa Harris-Perry.
0: Hey sis, it's Melissa Harris-Perry. And I got your message about trying to think about some of the messages in the midterms that we're maybe not paying a ton of attention to. And since I'm on campus today and I was teaching and I'm just getting out of class, It occurred to me that it's really interesting to me when you look at the exit poll data and then also at other data we have really over the past 10 years. That one of the things you see is that when white Americans go to college, they vote a lot more like black and brown people. Now I know that sounds funny, but if you look at um, democratic partisanship, if you look at vote choice, if you look at policy positions, there's something about being college educated that tends to turn white American voters into people who vote with interests more aligned to the interests of people of color. And we saw that again in the 2022 midterm votes. And it does make me wonder about the connection between that and the attack on public education, the attack on affirmative action going through the courts right now, um, and this desire to change American higher ed so that The classrooms won't look like the classrooms that I just got finished teaching, diverse places where we are encountering lots of complicated ideas and experiences outside of our own. So just, I guess, one little little factoid in the midterm elections um, that, again, we've seen in some other ones, but I'm thinking a lot about it tonight because I'm here on campus and talking about the voting with my students.
3: So keep an eye on that one. Bravo, Melissa. As always, you are excellent. I mean, here's the thing. She ain't never lied. Education matters. And that's exactly why the extreme right and the not so extreme right for that matter, places a focus on what we're learning at schools and who we are learning it with. Don't sleep on that. Next up is the president of Emily's List, Lafonza Butler. Not to be confused with Angie's List. Emily's List is the nation's largest resource for women in politics. I'm still finna call it LaFonza's list, but we can fight about that. Anywho, let's hear what LaFonza has to say.
2: What stood out to me uh, in my overall takeaways for the election last night was that abortion and reproductive freedom were on the ballot and that women and young women in particular were difference makers in terms of voting for Democrats all over the country No one should ever count out this generation of of voters. They are determined to make their voices heard and to have control over their future and their bodies. We should be making sure that we are paying attention to the runoff election in Georgia for the Senate race and making sure that whomever we elect are being held accountable uh, to the commitments that they made and to the expectations that our communities. Have, and you know we can't forget that there are elections uh happening next year, and so we've got to continue to stay vigilant and stay committed to turning out and voting and exercising our right, our power, and having our voice heard in our democracy. It is really true that the outcomes of this election
3: were determined by women folks show. Sure. We are mad as hell about abortion access and rights, and we don't want nobody telling us what the fuck we can do and can't do with our bodies. Period. Now, the Republicans way overplayed their hand here. Even conservative women ain't fucking with getting rid of abortion now, honey. Come on, child. (laughs) Now we're going to hear from two of our past illustrious guests. First, Angela Rye, who is the principal and CEO of Impact Strategies. Angela will be followed by Maurice Mitchell, the National Director of the Working Families Party. Let's start with Angela. What say you, Sister Rye?
5: These midterms, disappointed. Um, I wish I could say that I expected a different outcome, a better outcome. But I just have not had a whole lot of hope in um, white supremacy and racism. Um, since January 6, 2021, I've never really had hope in it, but, you know, I was pretty sure that they would show up and show out. And that is exactly what happened. So whether we're talking about Stacey Abrams um, losing the governorship in Georgia or the now, you know, the fact that Herschel Walker is in a runoff with Raphael Warnock, which is absolutely ridiculous, Or the fact that Val Demings didn't come close to Marco Rubio in Florida. Or the fact that Louisiana had slavery on the ballot and they um, voted to, to keep slavery from the state constitution. And I know that the gentleman who wrote the amendment said that he wanted to do a redo, but I just don't have any hope in Louisiana. So this is a very disappointing midterm election. And I think... What we have to remember, it wasn't just that the Democrats' policies that made me think that the Democrats would lose the House. It's how they redrew these districts through the redistricting process. Little thing we call gerrymandering happens as a result of the census. It's what happens when folks don't um, show up to be counted in the United States census. You get drawn out of your districts because they treat you like you are invisible, And since we're talking about a census, this one is different, but I really encourage you all, if you have not, to sign up today, take the Black Census, go to blackscensus.org. It is an incredible project of the Black Futures Lab, and it is a way to ensure that Black folks can be counted, we can speak to our issues, what matters to us most, we are heard, We are represented. This survey was designed by us. It's designed for us. And it will inform a Black agenda, which brings me to my final point. A Black agenda is what is necessary to hold elected officials accountable to whether you voted for them or not. You pay them with your taxpayer dollars. So it is important. It is imperative that they serve and meet your needs, your political and policy-based needs. Um, through the political process. And so we want to formulate an agenda that they have to be responsive to. They are accountable to us. They must be accountable to us. That is how we can continue to stand in our power. If you're in Georgia, y'all, get ready to vote in this runoff.
6: This is Maurice Mitchell, the National Director of the Working Families Party. And my overall take about this election is that this was a historic election. And all of the pundits and the naysayers and everybody else that said that Democrats were going to be destroyed, that the MAGA wave was going to ride to ascendancy, that the left, quote-unquote left, or the quote-unquote defund movement um, was going to spoil the opportunities that Democrats had to hold the House and the Senate, none of that panned out. If anything, what we saw was the power of Black voters. We saw the power of young voters. We saw the power of Black women. We saw the power of our community. We saw the power of progressives in many, many ways. Um, There's so many examples. The state of Michigan, the state of Pennsylvania, Democrats and progressives swept most of the races, and that was not predicted. In New York, where Democrats had a harder time, my organization, the Working Families Party, which leads on a progressive position on the economy, on policing, on public safety. The story is how our organizing, our candidates were able to lift the prospects for progressives across the board. So there's a lot of examples. I think, you know, I would be remiss not to bring up Mandela Barnes, who performed better than Russ Feingold the last two times he ran against Ron Johnson and came really, really close. And they threw everything they could at him in order to tell a story about how he was not a candidate that was aligned with the values of other folks in Wisconsin. Now imagine if the money that went into some other candidates who lost by greater margins went to Mandela, we would have had a victory party in Milwaukee a few days ago. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why we, believe you should stand behind black progressives who are building coalitions that are broad, inclusive, and excite young people, people of color, and other folks, that that is a winning solution in order for, for our side and the freedom side to win. The last thing I'll say is that when we drew a sharp contrast between the MAGA Republicans, the side that seeks to limit our freedoms, and our side, the side that least seeks to expand our freedoms, the right to an abortion, our economic freedoms, the right to decide which books your kids could read, the right to, d- to decide without the creepy hand of the government deciding the gender of your children or anything else, that, that we win. And that many people, not just people on our side, but many people respond to that message.
3: I completely agree with being disappointed about the losses that Black women suffered in this midterm election. And not just Black women suffered, but Black men suffered too. It's really true that Sherry Beasley, Stacey Abrams, Charles Booker, and Mandela Barnes lost their elections, and that means we lost a big opportunity to have our voices heard and our priorities prioritized. Redistricting had a lot to do with this, and this actually is why the US Census matters. So real spit, even though we're not going to see a U.S. census for another few years, you can still be counted and represented through the Black Census. Have you taken it yet? We finna close it soon, so make sure you get your voice and priorities heard. www.blackcensus.org. And next from the homie Maurice. I'm aligned and I'm on board with this, brother. I swear I am. This is a real thing. And let me say something about what my homie said, because I done had a big ass blowout fight with Van Jones on this when he was running around talking mad shit about defund and how Democrats were gonna lose because of it. Well, brother, while you were running around trying to get white folks to see you were not with the shit, the fact actually is that it wasn't salient enough in 2020 or in 2022. You really owe folks an apology for that bullshit, but I digress. We got to stop doing this shit where we are so concerned about what the MAGA Republicans think about shit that we stop being ambitious for our people. Now, I got some issues with the defund message too, but not to the point where I don't think we need major movement on this narrative that police fix crime and therefore we should allow them to do carte blanche whatever the fuck they want. Fuck the MAGA Republicans, stop kowtowing to them, and start organizing us. Anywho... Great work, Maurice. Thanks for everything you do, brother, to protect democracy and move us towards a better future for all of us. Next up, we have two more past guests coming your way. Jamel Hill, followed by Ense Ufot. Jamel is an Emmy award-winning host, author, and host of Jamel Hill is Unbothered. Have you read her book yet? If not, y'all play in yourselves. It is freaking excellent. I have been curled up with it for the last few days, and I seriously cannot put it down. Now, my sister Ense is the strategist behind the New Georgia Project, a voter support and legal action nonprofit organization that was founded by Stacey Abrams in 2013. But first up, here's Jamel.
7: As far as the midterms go, um, the part that is relevatory for me is is that I feel so positive afterwards I came into the midterm elections not feeling very positive understanding that I was probably in for a rude awakening and I guess I was the dummy being in media and seeing how media has been especially during this political climate i should have never believed that any of their narratives were true but they were starting to settle in and i expected that there would be a lot of disappointment i thought it would be a lot of disheartening outcomes but that was not the case at all in fact i for the first time in a long time i actually saw a pathway to the future I think the biggest thing we can glean from these outcomes is the fact that people do care about democracy. Uh, I've read a lot of things where people have said that those who are voters do not care about democracy being one of the selling points or the fall of democracy being one of the, the points that would get people to actually vote. And it turns out it actually was something that generated a lot of enthusiasm and vigor among people who uh, were in the voting block. And I think the media had it very wrong by thinking that people only wanted to vote off of selfish interests. And it appeared that there was at least some level of urgency built around issues That may not be issues of the moment and my issues of the moment. I know right now everybody is concerned about the economy, the the, potential recession, gas prices, those kind of things. And I think we were led to believe that those were the only issues that people were voting on. And it turns out that a lot of people did have the big picture in mind. So what I would say going forward that we need to pay attention to is actually in a way, uh, uh, inverse of your question. What we don't need to be paying attention to going forward is the media. Because given how awful they frame stories, given how awful the polling is, if we pay attention to any of that, we're undercutting our own level of enthusiasm because those people don't know what they're talking about. And the reality is that There's a lot more people in this country who care about the core things that kind of bind us all than we are led to believe. I'm not saying it's the majority of people, but I think it's a significant enough portion to where we can actually make a dent in this experiment that has gone wrong um, with our democracy uh, at this present moment. So, What I would say is like, we honestly need to kind of ignore all of what the media is saying leading into any election, because those motherfuckers be wrong. And as far as Black people are concerned, just like every election, it's a dicey proposition. On the one hand, we are shown things that we were already familiar with, and that is the fact that the majority of white people in this country do not want the same things that we want and even though we have seen this throughout history many many times that doesn't make it less impactful every time we see it it just further drives home that in very many ways we are fighting a certain battle alone and what i hope would come from this is that it makes us even that much more determined To achieve our full liberation so for us it does mean a step forward in the sense that while certainly not all of our agenda or even close to it is being met we should always treat these elections as a recognition of the power that we have that we often don't recognize and don't pay respect to because we sometimes can be so disillusioned by the system but i think at the very least this shows that there's considerable power that we have and the worst thing we can do is to give it away i'm still feeling more
1: emotions than strategy But I think that overall, muting the red wave is good for us. But demonstrating the growing power of misinformation, disinformation, and the billionaire class, like willingness to invest in the right and their trash ass candidates at all costs. feels like it's bad for us and that we are not building the muscles that are necessary in order to push back against that in the future. Not only that, just big money and drowning in big money and our reliance on big money in order to hold our programs together it's really really uh, a tenuous relationship and kind of fickle and I think that places where there was a spike or a surge in investment in the left in multiracial orgs and base building Did well in places where there was a noticeable and precipitous drop did not do well. And it is becoming more and more clear how dependent our movements are on white wealthy, um, the white wealthy donor class and their whims. So. Uh, that's my take on what happened in the midterms. Uh, uh, Choice was obviously uh, a deciding factor in some places, except for in the South. Uh, White women in the South don't give a fuck. Uh, That's not true, but it does not seem to be A more powerful, powerful motivator than a a sort of commitment to upholding the tenets of of white supremacy. And, um, yeah, that's going to be interesting going forward. Um, What should we be paying attention to going forward? I don't know. How to mute or neutralize the impact of the fear tactics uh, and the like fear of the loss of power and the loss of like unearned white racial superiority and how powerful of a motivator that is, and how that is going to influence white voters' decisions going forward, um particularly white particularly white women. I think that also um, combating misinformation man, like we don't have the tools, we are not equipped we are not built for it like the GOP was really successful and sort of flooding the paint with these trash ass polls and the corporate media, mainstream media just swallowed that shit whole and regurgitated it and I don't Going forward, we are going to have to figure out how to make interventions with respect to narrative because the truth of the matter is that over 90% of Gen Z get their information about government, about elections, about the world around them from social media and the role that mainstream media plays. I think that our work going forward is going to have to figure out like Twitter um I'm deeply concerned about everything from canceling Tiffany Cross's show 4 days before the midterms to all of the wild changes that were made at Twitter that created the conditions for people to say really crazy shit and not be and not be held accountable for it Um, and what myth do you want to bust about the election results, Um, that it was a myth that I, unfortunately and sadly, was a part of perpetuating as well. Um, And that is that we had historic participation in the 22 midterms compared to 2018 and the 2020 as well. I think one of the things that I got hustled and finessed out of was we were looking at historic levels of participation, there is early voting in person and absentee ballots. And we saw a 1 million ballot deficit in 2022. So last time there was a big election, we had 1.2 million absentee ballots submitted. And it's down to 200,000 for the 2022 midterms. It's a huge problem. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that Senate Bill 202 cut 100 days from the absentee ballot request and return timeline. They slashed like 70% of the drop boxes that voters had access to. Uh, the drop boxes were no longer 24 hours. They brought them inside the government buildings and they were only available from nine to five or whenever the building was available. And so a lot of people were early voting in person as a way to make up for those inconveniences. Um, You could not drop off your absentee ballot on election day. You had to wait in line, shit like that. I did not peep that. I didn't pick up on that. I was focused only on early voting in-person numbers and a million Georgians not turning in and not being able to vote by absentee absolutely, absolutely had an impact on the results of these elections, and it's a myth that I'd like to bust.
3: First, Jamel, I feel the same same. They pushed hard and we pushed back, and we saw the fruits of our labor from doing exactly that. Look at us being all powerful and shit. I see y'all. And say, sis, I appreciate that you gave us the real deal holy field about why the Secretary of State is such an important role. I mean, this is why the right has targeted this position, because they know that the Secretary of State can make it easy or hard for you to vote. And when you have a whole ass party that cheats their way to power, you think they're gonna do the work to make sure you can vote? Hell nah! <laughs> now, rounding off our All-Star analysis is the incomparable, indefatigable Joy Reid from The Readout with Joy Reid on MSNBC. Bring us home, Joy.
8: Hey, this is Joy Reid from The Readout on MSNBC. So my overall take on the election was that it was proof that we should not be relying on these polling averages to tell us what's going to happen in elections. The votes are really the only poll that matters. And I think Republicans tried to game the system to try to psych out Democrats and to psych out black voters and brown voters and young voters into thinking there was no point in turning out to vote. Luckily, voters ignored it. Voters didn't listen and people turned out to vote. Uh, One other take I would have is that Young voters, voters under 30, saved democracy. They turned out in incredible numbers, in historic numbers, and it was young voters, voters of color, even young white voters. White voters under 30 actually voted mainly for Democrats. They voted majority for Democrats, which is unusual. Usually white voters of every age group vote for Republicans. So I think young voters turning out was really, really important. And the issue of abortion was incredibly important. I think that was the issue that turned the election, and that did not show up in the polls. As far as Black folks, I think that the election was a net positive for us in a sense, because it's going to preserve some of the gains that we've gotten under the Biden administration. It's not all the things that we needed, but things like student loan debt um, removal, you know, people being able to reduce some of that student loan debt, that's key, especially for Black folks. And being able to have a Congress that's not gonna try to legislatively overturn that, I think is a very big deal. Environmental issues, which may still have a chance if Democrats hold the Senate and somehow hold the House, that's gonna be key because it's Black folk that live in the areas that where the environment is the most destructive and can be the most destructive to health and also preserving some gains on health care. I think the part where it's bad news is that we saw that the Democratic Party did not make investments in Black candidates in key statewide races. I think in North Carolina, it's almost shameful how the party essentially failed Sherry Beasley, And Sherry Beasley's campaign, I think, didn't demand the kind of assistance, including an Obama visit that she should have. I think the Mandela Barnes loss was tragic. How does Evers get reelected governor and his former lieutenant governor goes down in a race against an insurrectionist? That should not have happened. And the last thing I'll say is in the Tim Ryan race, the neglect of black voters was egregious, and it's the reason that he lost. And so the Democratic Party still needs to learn this lesson. They don't they don't seem to want to learn, is that you can't show up in the churches six weeks before an election. You have to constantly marshal the black vote. I think the Gary Chambers run and the the Charles Booker run in Kentucky, Gary Chambers in Louisiana, Charles Booker in Kentucky. And also Chris Jones in Arkansas shows that we have quality black candidates who can run, but they need party support and they need money. Last thing I'll say is the biggest tragedy was for black women in terms of not being able to get a black woman governor in Georgia. And I think there it's a complicated issue, but let's bust a myth. That was not because black men didn't vote for her. That is because white voters did not vote for Stacey Abrams. And that's a wrap for me. Okay, I said it was a wrap, but I have to say one more thing. There was one really big win for Black folks in this election, and it was the election of the first Black governor of Maryland, Westmore. Big ups to Westmore, big up to Black voters. We got it done in Maryland.
3: Man, Joy, this is why you are the GOAT. Always making it plain for our folks, and I know I'd be a broken record on this shit, but I don't know why the Democratic Party operators stay asleep on Black folks. It's like we're in Groundhog's Day every fucking cycle. And no, the answer is not to leave these people to their own devices. The answer is to take that shit over and make sure that money goes where it needs to go. We talked about this in last week's episode with Esperanza. And if you missed it, go back and listen again about why by the time elections roll around, it's too late to try to influence the party. That work has to be done between election cycles, just like the work we do with our communities needs to also be happening during election cycles and in between. You know, 365 days a year. Now, here's my own take on this week's midterm elections. To be honest, and because I be listening to the news all the time, I too got caught up in the bloodbath narrative. Why? Well, because white people are 70% of the electorate in this country. Yeah, 70%. And to be honest, I just do not trust that in a country built on slavery and genocide, that white voters won't move to push us all off a cliff at any time for no fucking reason at all, except racism, implicitly or explicitly. Case in point, on election night, I was sitting on my porch with my sisters Angela and Tiffany, and one of my neighbors comes walking down the street with his dog. He starts telling me all kind of shit, and now for context, honey, in my neighborhood, that has hella white people in it, people are starting to get up in arms about crime our neighborhood is literally so fucking quiet. And yeah, every so often you might have somebody go through your car if you leave the shit unlocked. And yeah, there have been a few robberies. But look, folks, I lived in Oakland for 20 plus years and where I live right now ain't even the fuck close. Also, it's coming up on the holidays. And if you ain't got shit to put under the tree, you looking for some shit right now. People are talking about how bad the economy is, but you're not talking about what people do to make ends meet. Now, I haven't heard no gunshots, no helicopters, no police sirens in literally six months. Really and truly, ain't nothing unsafe about this neighborhood. I promise you. Now, anywho, this neighbor is talking to me about he done fucked up his back because a white meth head broke into his house during the day and he fought, old boy. Now, mind you, He's high off muscle relaxers, and I can tell this because he keeps repeating the shit he done already said about five fucking times. But here's the kicker. He then starts talking about how we're neighbors and it doesn't matter how we vote. And I just took a deep breath in and a deep breath out because even though a white meth head broke into this man's house, he ain't voting for Donald Trump and Brian Kemp and those people because he's scared of white people. He's scared of a black planet and a planet of color. Period. So back to the midterm, Sonny. I'd be scared and frustrated about how some white voters, especially white affluent voters, sometimes be on some cap shit. And this midterm was no different. But this time I was reminded that there is something that connects us. And that basically is that we want to be able to have a say. We want to have a say in our futures. And the fact that this election cycle was not a clean sweep was actually really important It means that there's a potential for an anti-fascist coalition. And you know what? It has to include white voters, too. And not just the progressive, anti-establishment, love is love, science is real, Black Lives Matter, progressive white people. So how do we do that, my friends? The other piece of my take on the midterms is this. There really is no evidence that the extreme faction of the Republican Party, or the Republican Party for that matter, Has organized any mandate to lead. Instead of a policy agenda, they chose an agenda of fear and division and basically hung their hat on probably the most unpopular policy position ever eliminating abortion. That's gonna have impacts on them for years to come because only a portion of their voters are the fundamentalists that a total abortion ban would serve. Now, here's my other take on this it's all about the field, baby talking to people directly at scale for absolutely any campaign that you want or plan to win. We're in a tricky situation here because the Democratic Party ain't moving the kind of resources it's supposed to be moving to outreach. That is by and for the new American majority. Now, Jamie Harrison, former candidate for South Carolina U.S. Senator against Lindsey Graham, is now the head of the DNC. But despite the chest-thumping that folk are doing right now, and in some ways rightfully so, because Jesus, could you imagine what could have happened? The truth is, we still ain't got no concrete numbers on this. Of the $90 million that was spent on outreach, how much of that went to Latino and Black engagement and outreach? Now, I believe in giving credit where credit is due, and, 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 and. We still have a party that prioritizes white suburban voters that are affluent, and expects small or deeply underfunded organizations to pick up their slack when it comes to the democratic majority. And so then campaigns have to go to philanthropy to fill in the gaps using resources that quite honestly need to go to the groups that are doing this turnout and engagement. And campaigns use money for all kinds of shit, but baby, if it ain't field, just keep your cash. Now, when you're in communities early and often, you can counteract the typical bullshit that people pull six weeks before an election, targeting Black people basically to not trust other Black people. And yes, I'm looking at you, your clown ass Kanye West. And then also Negroes trying to get some shit for themselves at the last minute. Yes, Killer Mike, I'm looking at you. And I'm gonna need to see those receipts about Kemp following through on whatever the fuck he promised you, son. His track record ain't good, but anywho... Or whatever kind of clown shit niggas be on to keep Black people from actually being powerful in election cycles. Now, I, for one, am tired about agonizing over whether or not Black people gonna show up. We've been showing up. I'm tired of the stories about Black men, you know, at this point, Black men been doing what they supposed to do, okay? And whoever ain't, bless their hearts. Just like I'm not going after these QAnon people and trying to change their minds, I'm also not chasing after no motherfucker who is convinced that somehow they, on their own, as an individual, are going to change an entire system alone and that the rest of us who have been out here just missed the boat the whole fucking time. Now, I only got so much energy, so I'm gonna go ahead and hand that to niggas who want to do that work because there is a difference between those who have gone down the Candace Owens rabbit hole and the brothers who actually really do want something out of politics and have legitimate concerns about how to get it. So let me shout out Black Men Build and the crew that helps to make that happen. And my final take on this for now is that hopefully you saw what I saw, which is that voting really actually does matter. Literally so many of these races are being decided by just a few thousand votes. So yes, when you vote, it literally can change the course of a race. So move accordingly, please. Democracy thanks you, and so do I. And just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup. Now, we're going to keep it short this week because who the fuck was paying attention to anything but whether or not we were going to drive full speed off a cliff? In any case, here is a short, short list of the things we just ain't gonna do. Number one, and literally probably like almost the full list for this week, paint these states with a wide brush when we're talking about what went down. Now look, y'all, maybe this is because I just moved to Georgia, but it's leaving a bad taste in my mouth when we talk about whole ass places being fucked up, when we know good and damn well our people are living inside the empire. All I'm saying is, Let's be specific, shall we? Is it Florida that's fucked up? Or is it Ron DeSantis and the people who keep him in power? Is it Georgia that's fucked up? Or is it Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger and the people who keep them in power? Is it Louisiana that's fucked up? Or is it the people who voted to keep slavery legal? I'm just making a point here that we want to be careful not to talk down on places that have been hamstrung by white supremacy. Please, always remember... There is resistance in the belly of each of these beasts. And we want to shout out those people who try to change the tide. People like friends and families of Louisianas incarcerated children in Louisiana who despite the odds got them to close a youth prison and are now trying to keep them from putting kids in fucking Angola prison, which is one of the worst prisons in the country if not the world. Uh people like Florida Rising who's been busting their ass statewide to activate black and brown voters despite being regularly and relentlessly attacked by Ron DeSantis and his Gestapo. And don't even fucking get me started on Georgia, y'all. Y'all knew these folks' names in 2020 when they saved the country, but then y'all fucked around and didn't move as much money as you should have to these organizations to do what they do best. And y'all got the nerve to say, gee, thanks, Georgia. That's just some asshole shit, so please stop it. We going to keep that on the list of things we just ain't gonna do. If I got to say this shit every week, I will y'all. For real. Be specific and watch your mouth. Here's what we want more of this week though. And there's really just one thing on this list which is winning. Now, if you're like me, this week you are feeling pretty powerful. Here's the thing. We feel powerful when we win because we feel like our hard work, whatever the hell work we put in, actually mattered. I mean, Remember the reason that you voted. What was at stake for you? What got you to take the time? How can you keep that same energy all through next year and into 2024? And since there are still a lot of people who didn't participate, can we take some of that energy and make it more contagious than COVID? Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. I said that shit. We're still dealing with that. Anywho. it for Lady Don't Take No, but I will be back here next week with a brand new conversation and some more news you can use. We appreciate you joining us and let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like and tell us what you ain't going to take no more of. We post ways to do something about things you hear on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. On Twitter, we're at Lady Take. On Insta, we're at Lady Don't Take No Pod. We're also on Facebook at Lady Don't Take No Podcast by Alicia Garza. And we really, really appreciate it when you subscribe and write us a review. Let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is by Literix. And this pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And me, I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember... The midterm elections, like any election, are about demonstrating how you've been winning hearts and minds. The extreme faction of the Republican Party does not have a mandate to lead, and it's up to us to keep it that way. And we have more coalition building to do in advance of the 2024 presidential election. Because if you think for one minute these people are going to take it in the chin and not come back for their shit, you got another thing coming. That's right. I said it because lady don't take no.
2: Lady don't take no. She insist on respect the sister walk around like a woman She won't speak unless it's something worse saying, don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curious like. Got a natural way her hips sway furiously. love y'all.